and he was such a blessing to me for so many years, and uh, we're going to attempt to have a worship service this morning. He is in a continual worship service. I have entitled this message from verse 7, Why the World Hates Jesus Christ. Verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Why the world hates Jesus Christ. Well, who is meant by the world? That's a reasonable question. Who is meant by the world that hates Jesus Christ? Well, I'm going to answer this from the words of the Lord. The world are they whom he has not chosen, and they who he refuses to pray for. And let me show you that in the scripture. John chapter 15. These are his words, not mine. John chapter 15. Verse 18, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. So the world represents everyone who he did not choose. His words, not mine. Look in John chapter 17, verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. My words cannot be plainer. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says regarding this world. They hate me. Because I testify of it. That the works thereof are evil. He also said in John chapter 15. In a quotation from the Psalms, they hated me without a cause. They hated me freely. They hated me because that is what they wanted to do. Now let me remind you as we're going to try to consider why the world hates Christ. We're reading from the word of God. And it is God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration 
of God, exhaled by God. Every word is said just as he would have it said. The way he speaks is the best way to speak under every circumstance. And here is what the Lord Jesus Christ, the true and faithful witness, said to his unbelieving brethren. These were his siblings, his brothers and sisters. That's a, uh, we considered that some last week, the Lord's brothers and sisters. They didn't get it. They grew up with the Lord Jesus Christ and saw no glory in him. They saw no excellency in his person. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. And he says to them in verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but me it hateth because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Now, have you and I, this is the question I want to ask myself, I want you to ask yourself this question. I know that the Lord would give me the grace to preach this message the way it ought to be preached and give me and you hearing ears with regard to what he says. Have you and I ever hated Jesus Christ? Have you and I ever hated God? I'm not trying to shock or be sensational. I'm praying that we will be enabled to deal with this honestly. Have you and I ever hated the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, before we give an answer, the Bible says we have. The Bible says we have. You say, well, I'm not conscious of hating him. Well, the Bible says you have. The Bible says I have. Hold your finger there and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Now this is the commandment with regard to idolatry, the second of the Ten Commandments, verse 4. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the sea. Thou shalt not bow thyself to them and serve them for I the Lord thy God am a jealous God. I hope we don't miss that. He's intolerant of competition. He doesn't negotiate about this. I am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the, upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that what? What? Hate me. What is the reason for idolatry? We've all been guilty of it. What is the reason of, for idolatry? Well, it's hating the Lord as he is and bringing him down into our likeness. 
That's why men make idols. They hate God as he is. They don't like this, and they try to make a God in their own image and likeness, one they can feel comfortable with, a man-made concept of God. Now, when Paul gave the litany of the sins of the Gentiles, he uses this description in Romans 1.30 concerning the Gentile world. They are haters of God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 7, Paul said, the carnal mind. That is the mind you and I were born with. Even before we had any consciousness. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It is enmity. It is hostility. It is hatred toward the living God, opposed to God, I ask again, have you and I ever hated God? We may think, I've never been conscious of hating God. If that's the case, either it's because we haven't given it any thought, and that's very uh, possible. We just never thought about it. Or the God we believe is a God we feel comfortable with, the God we've created, the God that uh, will not violate our autonomous free will, uh, the God that we have some control over. Now, that God that we don't hate is the God that Barnard called the God nobody's mad at. Nobody's mad at that God. They're fine with him. Problem is that God does not exist. That is the figment of man's depraved imagination. When, mer when men first hear who God is, and that is, you know, you're not really going to find out uh, anything about your own sinful nature and your hatred of who God is by nature. Now, when God saves you, you love him. You love him. You love him as he is. You love him as he's revealed in his word. You love God. And we know all, that all things work together for good to them that love God. Every believer loves God. It's not just talk. They love the Lord Jesus Christ. They delight in him. But when a man, before he has heard the gospel, he probably doesn't realize he has any hatred toward God, but when he hears the truth concerning God's character, that's when this comes out. When he hears that he has mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will, he hardens. The responsible or the response of the natural man is that's not fair. That's what we think. That's not fair. In my personal experience, I generally want to avoid talking about my personal experience. Anytime I do, it's probably too much, but let me give my personal experience. I was not conscious of not loving God until 
I was confronted with the fact from the scriptures that God had elected a people and I might not be one of them. I didn't like that. I didn't think it was fair. And the fact of the matter is, it let me know that salvation was altogether out of my hands. There's nothing I could do to save myself. And that made me resent the Lord. That made me hate him. Now, when he saved me, I loved him for what I had once hated him for. I see that my only hope of salvation is him doing something for me. And I glory in that now, but then I didn't. Then I didn't. And that's when I realized I was in trouble. Because this is who God is. And this is what the Bible teaches. And I wasn't lined up with it. And I resented the Lord. And I was angry with the Lord. And I felt like this was wrong. And all of a sudden, it occurred to me for the first time, you've been guilty of hating God. Because that is who he is. I'm not going to apologize for that. Who he is is glorious. The problem's not with him. The problem is with me. And it wasn't until then that I asked the Lord for mercy because I didn't have anything else to plea. I'm in trouble. Would you be pleased to have mercy on me? You see, if you've never hated him, you've never loved him. Now, I'm not asking you to look back into your experience and see, well, I, I remember when I first saw I hated the Lord. I'm not asking you to do that right now, but I am, I am saying this. When you love him, you love him for who he is. You love his character. You love his attributes. You love his way of saving. He's God over all, blessed forever. That's how you see him. Now, go back to John chapter 7. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would no, not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Now this began in John chapter 5, verse 16, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Now that's in the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And the Lord heals this man on the Sabbath day. He was paralytic for 38 years. He said, rise, take up your bed and walk. He did it. And he was walking on the Sabbath day. This is the Sabbath day. This is not right. He is showing no regard for the Sabbath day. Now the Jews had a book at this time called the Talmud. And in it, they had all kinds of different directions about different laws in the Bible. And they expanded them. And they had 39 laws just with, with regard to the Sabbath day. And they had made a work out of not working. Let me repeat that. They made a work out of not working. You can't do that on the Sabbath day. And they were 
basing their hope of being saved on them doing these things. And the Lord was just being completely dismissive of this. He's saying our religion doesn't count. He's, he's not paying any respect to our religion. They had no understanding of the Sabbath day, but they thought they did, and they wanted to kill the Lord. He's saying our religion doesn't even count. Our religion doesn't even count. He's showing no respect to our religion. They sought to slay him. That's how angry they were. That is you and I by nature. Now, if you don't see this, believe it anyway. It's what the Word of God teaches. May God enable us to do that. I mean, so I just can't see that about that. Believe it. It's true. That's what you and I are by nature. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. David said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's the way I was born. Born bad. Born with no love to the living God. And the great proof of that is the cross. When men were allowed to do what they wanted to do, you know, the scripture says in Luke 23, 25, Pilate delivered Jesus to their will. And what was their will? Crucify him. Somebody says, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. Well, I wasn't even there. Yeah, but you would have if you were. That's the issue. You know, this really, when it comes right down to it, this is the most hated doctrine in the scripture. Man's wickedness, his hatred of the living God. They sought to slay him. They hated Jesus Christ. Now let's go on reading in chapter 7, verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. I love the way uh, John calls it the Jews' feast. It was ordained by God, but they had totally destroyed the meaning of it, and John calls it the Jews' feast. The Jews' feast of tabernacle was at hand. His brethren, his siblings, therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest, for there's no man that doeth anything in secret. And he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou, if thou do these things, Show thyself to the world. Now, on the surface, maybe what they're saying makes sense. Show yourself. Prove yourself. No man does anything in secret. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, when the Lord talks of works of charity, works of devotion, and works of self-denial, and don't think they're not important, almsgiving, Prayer, fasting, works of charity. Oh, I want to have works of charity, don't you? Works of devotion, praying, works of self-denial, fasting. He said, don't do it to be seen of men. As soon as somebody finds out you've done this, 
You've got your reward. You've got your recognition. All their works they do to be seen of men. There better be works done in secret or you're not real. I'm not real. Your father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. They said, no man does anything secret. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Every believer does. They're not seeking the recognition of men. Oh, the Lord is the only one who counts. You believe that? What if everybody's against you but him? It's okay, isn't it? What if everybody's for you but him? You're in trouble. Uh, yes, men do things in secret, but they didn't understand who the Lord was. You see, you won't really, and I won't really, understand sin until I see who he is. Somebody says, I just can't see this. What you're saying, it's because you haven't seen him. If you see him, you'll see this, and you'll see it clearly about yourself. I'm not talking about somebody else. I'm talking about yourself. You'll see this clearly about yourself. Verse 5, for neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth. And here's why. Because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. Now, everybody in this room knows there's such a thing as good and evil. You know that, don't you? There is such a thing as good and evil. And the reason that's true is because God is. That's why. If there's no God, who's to say what's right and who's, what's wrong? If there's no God, who's not to say a survival of the fittest? You know, you can do, what, do whatever you have to do to promote yourself and to get what you want. If there's no God, you can say that. But if God is, there is good, there is evil, there is right, there is wrong. There are moral absolutes because God is. Now, all of us would agree that corporate greed is evil. That organized crime is evil. That sexual sin, fornication and adultery is evil. Stealing and lying is evil. Covetousness, greed is evil. Extortion, manipulation is evil. The world believes these things are evil. But when the Lord says, I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil, he makes no distinction between the good works and the bad works. I testify of it, that the works thereof. That covers everything. I testify of it. This is the Lord's testimony. This isn't some red-faced fundamentalist preacher screaming at people. This is the Lord's testimony. I testify of it. That the works thereof, all the works, are 
evil. Now, I can't possibly understand this if I don't have some understanding of sin. In Romans chapter 3, verse 22, there's no difference. There's no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, sin is coming short of God's glory. Have you ever done anything that measured up to the standards of God's glory? One thing, take your best gift, your best prayer. Would you want that to stand before God in judgment? Not me. Listen to this scripture. Proverbs 21, 4. A high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked. Is sin. From that high look and that proud heart, that even makes the act of plowing. Maybe you're plowing a field that seems to be a pretty wholesome thing to do. Maybe you're plowing a field in order to grow food to feed the poor. That's a good thing. But the scripture says the plowing of the wicked. Is sin. That says that everything a wicked man does is sin because it's him doing it. And that's what makes it sin. Doesn't matter what the action is. That's what makes it sin. Every deed done by a wicked man is evil because he is evil. And that's what the Lord says. This is the Lord's testimony. He says, I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. Now, somebody might be thinking, how did this happen? I mean, that's a grim look, uh, saying even when he plows, it's sin in God's sight. I mean, isn't that kind of severe? How did this happen? What's going on here? Well, the Lord said to Adam in the Garden of Eden, he created him upright. The wise man said in Ecclesiastes, Lo, I know this, that God created man upright. Man sought out many inventions. Uh, God created Adam upright. He didn't have a sinful nature. And God said to him, In the day you eat thereof. Notice he didn't say, If you eat. He said, In the day you eat thereof. I think of what he said to Peter. Peter said, if, he didn't say, if, if you deny me when you hear the cock, he says, you'll deny me. You'll deny me. In the day you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. And we know that he didn't die physically on that day. He didn't die. His soul didn't die. He was still alive he still had thoughts. His blood was still pumping. His lungs were heaving. He, but, this, but he died spiritually that very day. <clears throat> and I think the great illustration of that is after he ate of the fruit, 
Notice the fall didn't take place till he ate because God said to him in the day you eat thereof. The fall didn't really take place when Eve ate. It took place when Adam ate. Adam's the representative of all men. You and I are in him. Eve was in him. He's the representative. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, he died. And I think it's so um, telling. Before the fall, guess what? They were naked. It wasn't an issue. It didn't create any sinful thoughts, any sin. It wasn't an issue. Why? Because he wasn't a sinner. He had a perfect mind, a perfect heart. It wasn't an issue. But all of a sudden, when their eyes are open, it becomes an issue. And they knew they were naked. And they hid from God and tried to cover their nakedness with their own works. They were spiritually dead. The carnal mind is enmity against God. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, this is God's testimony. God saw the wickedness of man. That it was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. When God looks in the heart of any natural man, that is all he sees only evil continually. The Lord testifies by this that you and I are evil. Born in this world that way. Inherently evil, intrinsically evil, completely evil, incurably evil, comprehensively evil, essentially evil. That is why our righteousnesses are called in the scripture filthy rags. Our religion is nothing more than an extension of our wickedness. What this means is everything about me is sinful. What I am by nature, everything about me is sinful. Like David said, in sin my mother conceived me. I was born that way, shapen in iniquity. The wicked are estranged from the womb, the scripture says. They go about as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Now, if I don't see who Christ is. I do not see this about myself right now. It's only seeing who he is that creates this. When Peter saw the Lord finally for who he was in Luke chapter 5, you know what Peter said? Depart from me, Lord. He didn't have any sense of entitlement. Lord, you don't want to have anything to do with me. I'm a sinful man. 
That's what Peter saw when he saw the Lord. Now, if you don't see the Lord, this is just going to be negative. You're going to think, what, why is he being this way? I mean, give us something more uplifting. Um, but if you see the Lord, you, like Peter, see yourself to be a sinful man, full of sin. There isn't any part of you that is not full of sin. You really believe that there's not a human being alive that you can look down your nose at and stand in judgment of them because you know that you are full of sin. You have no claims on God. You are full of sin. Did you know that this is a distinctly Christian doctrine? What I'm talking about right now. This isn't in other religions. This is a distinctly Christian doctrine. There is no understanding of the gospel apart from this truth. This is why only the gospel teaches that salvation really is by grace. The only way somebody can be saved like this is if salvation is all of grace. By grace are you saved. Amen? By grace are you saved. Through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I can do nothing to save myself. I'm in the hands of a sovereign God who could save me or pass me by. And now instead of getting mad, I say, Lord, save me. I loved it when Rick read that passage of scripture from Matthew chapter 8 because that is how a sinner comes to Christ. Lord, if you will, you can make me Clean. I can't make myself clean. You can, if you will, because you are the Lord. And this is what is known as the teaching of the total depravity and inability of man. And like I said, this is the most hated doctrine, really. Uh, if you believe it, you rejoice that God elected a people. You rejoice that Christ effectually accomplished salvation for everybody he died for. You rejoice in God's invincible, irresistible grace. And your only desire is to persevere all the way to the end, looking to Christ only. Believe this about yourself. Whether you feel it or not, whether you see it or not, it's what God says. And faith is believing what God says. Don't look to see how uh, acutely you see it. Believe what God says. Verse Six, then Jesus said unto them, his unbelieving brethren, my time is not yet come. Now that's the time of the cross. That's the reason the world was created. 
That's the reason He became incarnate. That's the reason He came and walked in this flesh. To go to the cross. You see, His life will not do me any good unless He died. When He's talking about His time, He's talking about His death, His coming into the world to die. That's why He came. He said, Father, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this cause came I into this hour. He came to die. It wouldn't do me any good if he lived a perfect life and went back to heaven, but he came to die. You see, if he didn't die, he couldn't be raised from the dead. And his resurrection is where all of our salvation is. His resurrection means God is satisfied with what he did. And God is satisfied with me. God looks me over with the spotlight of his holiness and says, I'm satisfied because of what Christ did. God is satisfied. That's the gospel. He came to die on a cross. That's what he's speaking of. This is God's eternal purpose. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and for knowledge of God. That's strong language, isn't it? You have taken. Doesn't get you off the hook. You have taken. And with wicked hands have crucified and slain. You know, not only seeing that the Lord gives testimony that all of our works are evil. This is also a testimony of the goodness of God that he'd save people like this. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't care how bad I am. I don't care how bad you are. God is rich in mercy and rich in grace. And he delights in mercy. He delights to save sinners by his grace. Anybody who comes to him, I don't care who you are. Anybody who comes, he will not cast out. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we read these words, and this is what I want to close with. For he hath made him to be sin. What we are. At the thought of this, he sweat great drops of blood and gave a semi's garden because he understands sin. We don't. He does. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God 
in him. That person who believes what the Lord said. That all of his works, his works. I love what Spurgeon said. I'm not real sure if I can tell the difference between my good works and bad works. And the only thing I can do is throw them all overboard and go into the heaven on the plank of free grace. Amen. Amen. Uh, everybody that sees themselves this way is somebody that Christ died for. And someone who has the very righteousness of God as their personal righteousness. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for revealing to us that we are sinful men and women and revealing to us that your gospel saves sinful men and women. Lord, we thank you for your gospel. It's so glorious. Lord, those who see no glory in this message, we pray that you would give them eyes to see that they may rejoice in the gospel of your Son. Meet with us once again tonight according to your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.